This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome into the Utopia Football Podcast. It is the mailbag episode in between week three and week four of the NFL season. The Texans, of course, a few days removed from losing to the Chicago Bears, 23-20. to The Los Angeles Chargers are next up on the schedule at NRG Stadium on Sunday. We'll have our preview for that game uh, dropping tomorrow, um, our preview for Chargers-Texans. But first, we always do a mailbag episode in the middle of the week, and of course, uh, you get a chance to send in uh, mailbag questions to us, mailbag at gmail.com. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610, joined as always by the Hall of Famer, our senior Texans columnist, as well as uh, on sportsradio610.com, as well as gallerysports.com, the great John McClain. John, how are we doing this afternoon? I'm doing great, Sean. I have. I have one thing to say. Thank God for the Astros. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Um, yeah, the, what's our magic number right now as we record this? Two. Two. Okay, so just a, two more wins or a couple Yankee losses or some combo thereof, and they clinch the best record in the American League. Man, I would uh, think back in June, John, the Yankees had a big lead back in June. They were on pace for like 118 wins at one point. I think if, when the Astros beat the Mets and the Yankees, that's when people around the league started to take the Astros seriously. And truthfully, that's when I started to take them seriously. I thought uh, the Astros would, you know, if you it, under this new playoff format, if you get that first round by mm-hmm. and your staff is healthy and well-rested and the team you're going to play is not, that's got to be an advantage, which is what baseball wanted to do. I love I love the new format. It's a huge advantage, John, because the calendar is out already. They have the dates out for every single playoff game. It's already in the calendar. And I had looked at that back earlier in the season when they released those dates. And, yeah, like best-case scenario for a team that's in the wild card round when they go to face the Yankees or the Astros in the next round, the best case is you're either throwing your – number three or number four starter out there against the Astros, presumably against Verlander to start a series, or you're starting your number one guy on short rest on three days rest, which is I'm sure teams are probably not going to do that that early in the playoffs. Uh, But it's yeah, John, I think is okay. So is that a bigger advantage than getting the buy in, in the, in the football playoffs in your mind? 
Uh, I think in baseball, because they play more games. Yeah. You know, in football, you're one and done in the playoffs. But I, one thing that gets me, the way they baby pitchers today, mm-hmm. uh, coming back with a starter on three days rest and having pitched three innings is not that big a deal. Yeah. If you look at the box scores, Sean, there's guys, managers are pitching six and seven guys every night. And I think that's boring. I'd love seeing starters pitch. Yeah. I hate it when Verlander's pulled, especially when it's five innings. But the Astros' bullpen, not to mention the staff, has been so terrific. It won't surprise me at all if the starters are not out after after five innings just so they can go with the pen. You know what I really hate, John? When Justin Verlander gets pulled six innings into a no-hitter and you and I are at the game. I hate that. <laughs> yeah, we, we did see – the no-hitter broken up by Carlos Correa. That's true. Yeah, yeah. John and I were at that game earlier this year. For those for those who couldn't tell, um, we were at that game. All right, so, John, let's get into the mailbag this week. Again, mailbag at gmail.com. Put it in your phone. That way, when you think of a question, all you got to do is pull your phone out because you should have the Utopia Football Podcast in your contacts, people. Let's be real. Um, all right, so let's start off. I like starting off with the loyal mailbaggers uh, out of the shoot. And uh, Ronald Joubert, is a, he's a loyal mailbag submission guy going back to your days at the Chronicle, right? Right. I know Ron very well. Yep. So Ron sends in, um, to describe the Texans as a ground and pound, let me back, let me pause right there. For those who missed it, Davis Mills said last week the identity of this team is a ground and pound. Uh, I'll also point out that they were 0 for 4 on third and 1 against the Chicago Bears. Um, Ron sends in, to describe the Texans as a ground and pound, would they have to be better? Uh, would they have to have a better running game than a rookie in Burkhead? Do you really think the Texans will be a dominant rushing attack at any point this season? No, Ron, give me a break. You know the question, John. Are you kidding me, Ron? They their big mistake is they 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 need to put Pierce in there and leave him. I know fumbles scare coaches, but on that last series, not having Damian Pierce in the game, you don't have your best players in the game at the most crucial time of the game, and you're getting the ball to Rex Burkhead, and that's a loser's mentality. And so no, unless until they start giving Damian Pierce the ball. 20 times a game, and 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 they don't have a backup running back. You know, Sean, it's amazing. You look around the league at all these backup running backs who are producing, like Khalil Herbert, mm-hmm. Devontae Williams, two guys they've played the last two days, Tony Pollard for the Cowboys. They did a disservice making Rex Burkhead the backup running back, and it's one reason their running game is not good again. It can be better. The offensive line has done a good job of run blocking. I went back and watched every play over and over in that game and to see Quisenberry make some good blocks. Kenyon Green keeps kicking butt. Laramie Tunsil, despite the uh, failure on the peelback block sack in the fourth quarter against Indy and a crucial penalty at Denver, he's been blocking his tail off, just yeah, he- burying his guys. So they can be better, but they're not going to get better until they keep Damian Pierce in there most of the time and give him a breather with Daria Goomba Wiley just yeah. once. Yeah. John Lopez had some startling numbers on Rex Burkhead as a rusher throughout his career that I, I thought, I'll be honest, they were so drastic. I thought that Lopez got him wrong. Uh, he, and I, he may have shared that they may have shared those numbers with you when you were on with them this week They did um, in, on in the loop. Yeah. Like, and, and I forget the exact number, but Rex Burkhead has something like 
10 carries in his whole career of longer than 15 yards, like something ridiculous. Um, and you'd think most of them were last year against the Chargers because he had the greatest game of his career against the Chargers, but has not come close to doing anything like that again. No, no. He had a 36-yard run where the guys all caught up to him and basically surrounded him like he just like he just uh, robbed a convenience store or something <laughs> like that. All right. Um, the other question Ron has, I mean, we got a million variations of Davis Mills replacement questions, but his is just what, what are the Texans' plans this season if Davis Mills doesn't work out, uh, it, is it Jeff Driscoll, Kyle Allen, or there appears to be no plan B, he says. John, do you think Davis Mills gets 17 starts if he's healthy regardless of how he's playing, or do you think it's Absolutely. Point- I think he absolutely will. Okay. Because uh, why would you start Kyle Allen? Why would you start Jeff Driscoll? Driscoll's the backup. They're going to have to put him on the roster. You can't get there's a certain number of games where you can keep elevating people. But, yeah, Mills is better than those guys. No time in their career did they play the way Mills did at last five games last season. The Mills that played against the Chargers and engineered one of the biggest upsets in the NFL was really, really good. And this year he's not. He didn't just become bad overnight. I think he's he may have lost confidence. He's not accurate. Pep Hamilton's calling the plays. He's got a share in the blame. The receivers are not getting open. And so it's not just Mills. And those same problems would exist if you had Kyle Allen or Jeff Driscoll. All right. Next one is Wale. Uh, emails in, um, based on your assessment, what else can Mills do to improve his fourth quarter performance if receivers aren't getting separation and the coaches won't play Damian Pierce every snap. He also says, I think Pierce should be called on for the important periods, but that might be another comment. It seems to me like Mills is not set up to succeed. The coaches and the GM are complicit in this. What, what, what's your opinion, your broad opinion, John, on Davis Mills and what he can do in the fourth quarter and how much of this is Davis Mills fault that he's having so much trouble? I don't blame him for the last interception. The ball was tipped by Angelo Blackson. But why was Burkhead in the game? Why were they throwing the ball to Rex Burkhead? Even if he'd have caught it for a first down, the clock's running. Mm-hmm. And like a three-yard gain, they had had two, two short – well, they'd had two for nine yards. Pierce is clearly the best running back on the team. He's a weapon, and he's got to be on the field. He had two catches and averaged ten and a half yards. Burkhead averages like 5.2 per catch. So I think first thing they do is leave him out there, run the ball more, you know, and utilize the tight ends. Farrell Brown had a couple big plays. Jordan Akins had two big plays. O.J. Howard has disappeared. And uh, and then if Mills throws too many passes, Sean, in which the receiver is covered, like he makes up his mind, it's third and 10, he's going to throw 12-yard pass to Brandon Cooks, come hell or high water, he throws it, he's covered, the ball's knocked down. And he's got to, to be able to see more of the field. On one of the passes, I can't remember what it was, Jordan Akins was wide open running down the middle of the field. He threw one that was covered. It was incomplete. And he's got to do a better job of seeing the field and making decisions. He did that over the last five games of last season, but he's regressed. And I think the regression is mental, not physical. And I don't know how much Pep Hamilton's play calling has to do with it because Hamilton coached him last year. But uh, I've not been impressed with what Pep Hamilton has done so far. No, I'm not either. Uh, Mills' passer rating in the fourth quarter this season, John, 
Care to take a stab at it? Like a range? What do you think his passer rating is? Uh, 40.2. It's 46.1 in the fourth quarter this year. What is it since the strip sack against Indy? Uh, boy, I well, I know going into the Chicago game, it was uh, 60. He was 113 passer rating before the strip sack at Indy. And then he was, I want to say, like 66, somewhere in the 60s. After that, the rest of the Indy game plus the Denver game, and I doubt that the Chicago game did much to improve that. Uh, he did have the two touchdown passes, and he had over 200 yards passing, but wasn't a super efficient performance. And, and you know, in passer rating, interceptions are just an absolute killer, and he had two of them in that game. So I would imagine it's probably still in the 60s somewhere is my guess. And the timing of both of them, like trying to throw the ball to a receiver who's covered in the end zone, it's mm -hmm. intercepted. That was a bad decision. That was the one that Lovey Smith was the most upset about was the decision. And on the last one, uh, it just, to me, it just shouldn't have gone to Burkhead. I don't understand this fascination with Burkhead that Pep Hamilton had. I know Mills has been told if something's not open, Go to the check down. So he's throwing to Burkhead. But if Burkhead was out of the game and Pierce was in the game, he's got a much better chance of breaking uh, tackles and getting yards than Burkhead does. Yeah, I think I brought that up with you when we did our post-game edition of this earlier uh, on Sunday night that dropped on Monday, um, where I just thought it was I just thought it was one of those things you look at the box score and it was really funny to me because the conversation without stats involved is, hey, Damian Pierce is just way more explosive than Rex Burkhead. And you look down at the box score for the Chicago game on Sunday. And I just, I found it funny. Damian Pierce had two catches for 21 yards. Rex Burkhead had four catches for 21 yards. I just thought it was statistically appropriate that it took Rex Burkhead twice the number of catches to get the same number of yards as Damian Pierce. Like just metaphorically and symbolically, that made me laugh a little bit. Um, all right. So let's keep it moving here. Let's go to do uh, Derwin. By the way, uh, Ron and Wally, we thank you for your questions. Mailbag at gmail.com. If you're listening and want to shoot us an email, we can get to your questions in the next episode. But we got a bunch here that we got to get to still. Derwin. Derwin sends in a handful of questions here, but I'm going to pick a couple of them off the top. Um, Derwin said, I said on the first postgame show this year, Derwin's a frequent postgame show caller on 610 as well, John. He said, I, I said that Doug Peterson was a sleeper pick for coach of the year. For real or Fugazi is what uh, Derwin wants to play an impromptu game. Doug Peterson, coach of the year candidate, for real or Fugazi? Fugazi. It's three games into the season, 17 games. Give me a break. <laughs> Every year there are a team or two that start well and people get so fired up and then they fade. It's not what you do in September and October. It's what you do November, December, and January. Okay, but John, I will do a counterpoint. I heard you on In the Loop today say that Jacksonville is your favorite now to win the AFC South. If they win the AFC South, Doug Peterson's got to be in the conversation then, right? Well, of course, but this is three games into the season. He well, we're projecting. We're predicting and projecting. That wasn't the question. Okay. <laughs> I just, of I think... course, if they win the AFC South, yeah. he should be coach of the year. They've had the number one pick two years in a row. They should be good. They Who's... keep stockpiling all these picks. For sure. For sure. I think you just like saying Fugazi. That's that's what I think. I think if it's, if, if it's a tie, I think you like hiking the leg. And I think you like saying Fugazi. That, that's my. That's like right now. Anybody that thinks anybody's going to get a award at the end of the season based on three games, Fugazi. Okay. Fugazi. 
But do you have a favorite in the clubhouse right now? Like if you had to, if you had to put ten dollars down on somebody, who would you put it down on? To be what coach, coach of the, of the year. year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me think a second. The Bears are two and one. The Jaguars are two and one. Yeah. The Jaguars have a lot more talent, better quarterback. Uh, I would have to put mine on Matt Eberflus because he's two and one with a terrible team. And a, okay. And a bad quarterback. Okay. But do, but do you think the Bears are going to continue to win football games? That's what I'm saying, John. You're, you're oh, betting on who's going to win it. So I've, who's going to win it? The, the division's terrible. I would say Jacksonville has good a good chance to win the division yeah. of any two and one team in the NFL if they were a loser last year. All right. So that's so uh, Peterson would be a candidate. Peterson, if Jacksonville wins this division and it's not eight and nine, Peterson's going to be coach of the year, Plesley, because the media loves him. Well, the media loves him, and and that would also entail Trevor Lawrence getting getting going in year two. And that, let's face it, that's the main reason he's there: win football games and fish the Urban Meyer version of Trevor Lawrence out of the grease and turn him into a real quarterback. And unfortunately for the Texans, who face the Jags in two weeks, it's looking like that's coming to fruition. One other one from Derwin, John. This is a little bit of a historical question, I guess. Derwin played. How do you say it? Timpani, timpani, the drums. The, the, like those pedal me, drums. I got, I got no clue. He played them for the intro to the Jerry Glanville show back in high school. What's your favorite memory from the Jerry Glanville show back in the day? I never watched the Jerry Glanville show because I had to put up with him seven days a week all day much, so I never watched him at night. I think it's the radio show. I think he's talking about his radio show. Oh, his radio show? Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't listen to his radio show either. I will tell you this about Jerry Glanville. When he was elevated, uh, Jerry Trupiano, who was the talk show host at KTRH, Sports Voice of the Southwest, godfather of tech, Houston talk shows, and he asked back then, coaches could go wherever they wanted. Mm -hmm. Teams couldn't dictate squat. And he asked Glanville, this would have been for the 86th season, if he would like to do a show on 610 on Monday nights. And Glanville said he'd love to. That'd be great. But there was one problem. He said, what? He said, John McClain's on there. If you fire him, I'll do it. And Truppiano, to his credit, said, well, I'm not going to fire him. And uh, he said, I'd love to have you on there, but I'm not going to do it. And Glanville said, if you don't fire him, I'm going to KPRC with Anita Martini and Mike Edmonds, and, and we'll run you guys out of the business, and I'll be here long after McClain's gone. <laughs> so Jerry Truppiano stuck to his guns, and that's my best Jerry Glanville radio show story. Okay, have you – have you talked to Glanville since he was the coach here? Like, have you guys buried the hatchet at all or or no? No, he hates me. We've seen each other a couple of times. It's okay. Cordial. You're cordial. Okay. That, that was my question. Like That was like 20 years, 25 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, you got to let uh, bygones be bygones. Uh, so, um, okay. So, Derwin, we appreciate that. So, no stories from the Jerry Glanville show, but a hell of a, but a, hell of a Jerry Glanville related story from the legend John McClain right there. All right, um, continuing with the mailbag. Matthew Kosecki, do you think it's possible the Texans look back at what gave Mills success last year and find a way to bring out more of the good as the season develops? If so, what sort of things would you like to see more of from Mills to make his performances more positive? What do you want to see more from Davis Mills, John? 
Matthew, you want to see him be accurate. Last year, he has the highest rating of any quarterback in the NFL in the red zone. He had the highest rating of chunk plays down the field, second highest rating of chunk plays down the field. So those were two things he did really well. He had four games with at least a four with a three-digit rating, including the Chargers was his second best to New England. And the Titans in the last game, he played great. And so they need him to do the things he did last year. And if you don't get more accurate, you don't have a chance for those other things. Yeah, John, I would say, too, like get some easy throws. And I, and this is where I'll stick up for Pep Hamilton, that at least through the first couple games, he did scheme open some, some easy throws. And, but Davis, for whatever reason this year, just makes everything look so difficult. You know, whether it's his kind of jitteriness in the pocket or whether it's throwing balls to open receivers that maybe should be caught, but they could be a little more accurate. You know, Brandon Cooks had another one of those in this game against Chicago where, okay, I look at it. Yeah, Cooks probably should catch that ball that hit him in the hands, kind of down that left-hand seam in Bears territory. But Davis is also throwing the ball two feet over his head to where he's jumping up in the air and he's going to get destroyed by his safety. Like Davis Mills is going to get somebody killed this year, John, with the way he's he's – He's throwing high on everything, it feels like. Maybe he needs to go see a psychologist. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Um, all right, let's keep it moving. Let's uh, look at uh, Dave. Oh, Dave in Buffalo. Dave in Buffalo is back. Uh, we, we love having Buffalo listeners listening to the Utopia podcast. Um, with Lamar, this is actually more of a general NFL question. We encourage those as well. It doesn't have to just be Texans. Um, with Lamar Jackson not signing a long-term deal to stay in Baltimore, do you think he is wanting to go elsewhere to play? Uh, no, I don't, Dave. He wants to be there, but he wants guaranteed money like uh, Deshaun Watson got. And he's off to a great start. He's not going anywhere. They'll franchise him the next two years. So it would be three years. He's you know, he's still 25 years old. Mm-hmm. He started when he was 21. And uh, so, no, he loves Baltimore and they love him. And he wants 230, maybe 231 million guaranteed. And they want to give him guaranteed money like uh, Kyler Murray and uh, who else signed? Oh, and and Russell Wilson, those guys, their agents and the players said, we don't have to have Watson money. You know, we'll be comfortable with 100 and total on, on, I keep saying this, it's not used right. Guarantees are for skill and injury. Mm-hmm. And Murray's is like 107 million only. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he's going to be able to live on that. Problem <laughs> is don't let your ego get in the way and think, okay, I can get by on 175 million guaranteed. And if I play out the whole contract and Lamar Jackson, besides his next contract, he could sign one or two after that. If he plays till he's almost 40. John, a couple things on that. Um, one I think three weeks in, Lamar might be the leader in the clubhouse for the MVP of the league right now. Just the, just three games in. I know, I know we got a, I know we got fourteen more games to play, but he's been awesome, like a little Aaron Judge like in a way. I mean, Judge said no to a lot of money because he thought he was worth more money, and he's putting together one of the greatest seasons in the history of baseball. Um, again, just three games in with Lamar, but they've been 
really, really good offensively so far this year. I saw going into the New England game, I don't know where these numbers are now, but going into the New England game, he was averaging over nine yards per pass attempt and over nine yards per rushing attempt. Isn't that (laughs) unbelievable? It's crazy. unbelievable. Yeah, I don't care if it's just two games. That's remarkable. Um, so, uh, so he's been great. This is my, and I guess this is my, my mailbag question to you, uh, just cause we're talking about, you mentioned Russell Wilson and we're talking about quarterbacks. I tweeted this the other night. I'm curious if you agree or disagree, if you think it's for real or Fugazi. Um, I tweeted that I would, this was during the Denver San Francisco game. So keep in mind in the moment, Russell Wilson was having one of the worst games of his professional career, but also keep in mind, this is a week after he had one of the worst games of his professional career against the Texans. I tweeted, I would rather have disposable Davis Mills that you can just punt from at the end of the year for next to nothing than $245 million, or I guess 175 guaranteed, whatever it is, to to Russell Wilson right now. For real or Fugazi? No, I think it's for real at this point. And how much of it is of it is Nathaniel Hackett calling plays. Yeah. He didn't call the plays. He did not call the plays at at Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And they think now that they hired him hoping to entice Rodgers to sign with the Broncos. He could be a one and done. Yeah. And uh, so you don't know how much it's him, how much it's Wilson. But when the when the Seahawks agreed to trade Wilson, if they thought he was as great as he's always been, they wouldn't have done it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think he, I'm not going to say he's cooked like he's done because he did make some plays in that game, especially down the stretch. But man, it was it was uncomfortable watching Collinsworth and Tarico try to sell us like this because he made one drive at the end of the game. You're like, there's Russell Wilson. There he is. I'm like, no, the other three quarters, three and a half quarters of this game might be who Russell Wilson is now. That's the you know, that 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 could just be the case. All right. Uh, Matthew Graves. Uh, I heard you guys talking about the Hall of Fame on Payne and Pendergast, and it made me curious of the general's thoughts. Let's say another punter gets inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Who do you think gets in first? Oh, this is good. <laughs> I know, I, John. I know you're gonna you're gonna poop all over this. Shane Leckler or Pat McAfee? Leckler has the better numbers, but McAfee is a household name, which might hold more weight. Love listening in, gentlemen. Keep it up. This is where I remind Matthew that. Household names and carrying weight. There's 49 guys that decide this. This is not an election from. Uh, this is this doesn't go to the public ballot in society. But John Leckler or McAfee? Oh boy, that's going to be a close one. <laughs> I think that Leckler will have a slight advantage because on the Centennial uh, All NFL team, uh, the first punter was Ray Guy, yeah. and the second one. It was difficult to, to go with Leckler over McAfee because McAfee is so good on the air, but Leckler was basically voted second greatest punter in NFL history. Right. McAfee, and, and, you know, and look, Leckler's resume, in part because McAfee walked away from the game at age 29. Who knows? He could McAfee, have played till he's 39. He could have. And he right. wouldn't have gotten considered for the Hall of Fame. Right, right, right. No, I, I get what you're saying, but I just want to point out, like, McAfee was a good player. Like, this is – He's we're not just he's not just bringing up McAfee like just a name like he wasn't a scrub punter who no got not. booted you know he was a he was a Pro Bowler at times um, he's on the Hall of Fame ballot by God 129 names and he's on there. anybody can be put on that ballot Matthew you could you could send in a nominee and he'd make that original ballot before we start whittling it all right if I'm ever on my deathbed John my one wish to you would be to nominate me for the Hall of Fame ballot that's all I ask. 
Put me I, put, since you didn't play, you couldn't be on there, but damn. I can put big big Heine on <laughs> Put big Heine on in there. Your I, honor. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh this is from Joe. Um, how do you and John believe one would determine whether an organization is in the top 10 in the league in drafting effectiveness or how they're in the bottom 10? Basically, John, how do you grade teams, not a draft, but how do you grade teams in terms of their overall like ability to, to draft? Like, what's the biggest thing you look at? Do you look at number of, you know, how, how much of the roster is comprised of guys they drafted? Do you look at pro bowlers? Like what? When you're when you're deciding which teams are generally the best out there, what's the what are the key things for you? First of all, it's victories and how are they winning? Is they signed a lot of free agents? Do they are they homegrown players? Uh, I think you take three years to judge a draft. Okay, and if some of those guys are gone, are they still playing in the NFL? Uh, it, and what did they get if they traded them or did they make stupid decisions and let them go? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of criteria, but of course it has to start with winning. Yeah. The, how do you, there's some follow-ups here that I think are just interesting talking points. Um, how do you weigh the currency of the different rounds? Like maybe is like when you're considering, okay, this, that was a really good draft pick by such and such GM. Do you look at the ones like Tyreek Hill or Stefan Diggs who are like fourth and fifth round picks that turned into what they are and go, that was a great draft pick or, is it just it, it, that, that that where their pick doesn't really matter to you? It doesn't matter to me. If you're a sixth or seventh round pick and you make the team, it doesn't mean you're any good. Mm-hmm. You've got to produce in one way or another. And the guys you mentioned, of course, were great picks. Tyreek Hill, if he had, what did he do? Uh, he got kicked out of Oklahoma State. I can't yeah. remember. Was that when he was him and his pregnant girlfriend? I think so. Yeah. Out? Yeah. And uh, so, no, I don't pay any attention. It's all about production. Um, when I say the best drafting teams in football, like what's your gut when you, when, when, if the topic were, Hey, tell me who the two or three, you know, if you have a friend who's just sort of somewhat interested in football and you're having a conversation about the draft and they go, Oh, John, well, okay. Who in your mind, who are the two or three best teams at doing the NFL draft? How about Baltimore? Baltimore did a great, has done a great job starting with uh, Ozzie Newsom, trading back into the bottom of the first round to draft Lamar Jackson. Anybody could have done that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Letting players go to get compensatory third-round picks because you're always picking low and and utilizing those third-round picks, knowing when to let guys go and when to keep them and sign them to long-term deals. Pittsburgh has been really good at that. They got a new GM, Kevin Colbert, was a personnel guy. Omar Khan is a cap guy, mm-hmm. but they the consistency through the years. The team has got a great quarterback like New England did with Brady yeah. or Green Bay with Rodgers and, and New Orleans with Breeze. If you've got a great quarterback, that kind of skewers it. How did you get them? Were they, you, the deal for Breeze was brilliant yeah. for the Saints to do it, and it caused tremendous friction in San Diego with the coach, Marty Schottenheimer, who wanted Breeze. And uh, uh, John, I uh, can't remember his last name, he died, was general manager. He wanted Philip Rivers. Mm-hmm. And really, you couldn't go wrong with either one of them. And uh, so consistency of being good organizations has a lot to do with it. But like the Patriots, they haven't done a great job of drafting. You know, they they when Brady – covered up so many scars and wounds that they had from bad draft picks. 
that that's why I wouldn't put them in my top 10, even though I think they're the greatest dynasty in history. Yeah. I think, you know, Baltimore is the Baltimore is the team uh, that comes to mind for me, John, is it AJ Smith, the GM you're trying to think of? No, it was before him. Okay. Um, but John Butler, John Butler, John Butler. Okay. There you go. He, he took the media when I got there in, uh, I think it was, I went out there to do a feature on them during training camp before they played the Texans. And he had, when he took over for Bobby Ross, and I can't remember who the GM was with Bobby Ross. Oh, Bobby Beathard. Mm -hmm. He took the media out of where they had been for the entire uh, time they were there. And he put them in a, in a, cabin off the facility and they called it the butler cabin and every day they had to get schottenheimer to get on a golf cart and go all the way to the butler cabin to do his interview but he was hated and uh anyway I don't know, why did we talk to him about that because of breeze and breeze and oh, rivers yeah, breeze yeah. and breeze and rivers so if you make a good move to get a quarterback and mm -hmm. he's your guy forever like patriots getting brady in 2000 for a six-round pick you know, that, that has a lot to do with it. And I said I wouldn't put them in my top ten. That's not true. I started thinking, yes, they would definitely be in my top ten. Yeah, I, I think when I think of teams like the Ravens, for example, the thing that jump always jumps out at me is how well they do like day two of the draft, like rounds two and three. Like they just crush it. You know, they, they just find guys in those rounds. You look at guys that get drafted, like on draft, draft weekend and the Ravens are picking in the second and third round. I'm like, man, like – they, they probably pick three or four or five guys on day two because they always have multiple picks, it feels like. And if they're picking four or five guys on day two, I'm like, man, like three or four of these guys are going to be players. That's just that's it's it's really it's it's amazing. They're, they're really, really good. And the Steelers what? drafting wide receivers are really, really good, too. Another one, like the front office of the Rams, they, they've done a good job drafting, but they've done a really good job of bringing in veterans, mm -hmm. and tra say a trade like Matthew Stafford, and yeah. then finding a way to extend their stars despite having a salary cap that's working against them. They've been brilliant yep. the way they've done that. All right. Last one, John. This is from Jeevan. says, is Brandon Cooks doing enough to help Davis Mills this season? No, he's not. He dropped what should have been a touchdown pass. He's not getting open like he did. I don't know if it's coaching and routes. They got a lot of new coaches on the staff. Mm -hmm. Pep Hamilton got to hire all the offensive coaches he wanted. And uh, right now, if you had to pick a position on the offense that's playing its best, uh, Damian Pierce, of course, the offensive line is better, and it's going to continue to get better if they can stay healthy. And one player I'd like to see get the ball more is Nico Collins. He's averaging 15.9 yards a catch. Make an effort to get him the ball more. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, mailbag at gmail.com. That is the uh... – that is the email address if you uh, are listening to this podcast and you want to hear your question read on the air. Send in good ones. They can be about the Texans. They can be about the NFL in general. They can be about the Astros even this time of year uh, because we got the playoffs coming up. So when we say Utopia football podcast, it's really the HOU part that we're most focused on, uh, not just the football part, especially this time of year. So whatever it is you want to send in, HOU mailbag at gmail.com. Any last thoughts, John, before we uh, get mentally prepared to record our chargers texans preview tomorrow yeah thank god for the astros exactly exactly and we're going to echo that throughout the rest of the fall all right um so we're done big thanks to figgy fig for producing and uh getting this podcast delivered to all of you figgy's the best 
And um, John, I enjoyed it as always. Sean, thank you very much. Thank you for everybody who contributes questions. And thank you to everybody who listens to the podcast. Please spread the word. Yes, yeah, spread the word. Tell a friend. Download. Give us a five-star review. Subscribe. All that good stuff. Share it. Um, and we appreciate, we do, we appreciate all of you listening. The numbers are really good on the podcast. We want to keep that positive momentum going. Even if the Texans aren't winning games, we want to keep winning this podcast game. So can't do it without you, the listeners. So we appreciate you for all of that. Uh, for John McClain, I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see you tomorrow with our preview for the Chargers and the Texans on Sunday. Until then, have a great day, everybody.